This is The Shift Podcast. Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, Canada's home to some incredible maritime mysteries, including shipwrecks, St. Lawrence River, Lake Ontario, and more. Even the Bermuda Triangle of Canada is there. We dig into it, what it's called, and more. Global's Max Hartshorn shares stories of shipwrecks in Lake Ontario. Then we talk to a diver from Kingston, Guillaume Corsi shares the history behind the lost ships and why Lake Ontario is one of the best places in the world to see shipwrecks. It's cold and they stay preserved. You can hear more on the podcast. Also, what the hell should we watch this weekend? Steve Stebbing is here, talks about his favorite movies and DVDs and so much more of what we should watch with the Shift AV Club too. Uh, Let's bring Steve Stebbing on right now and talk about two things. First of all, How's the fire on the west side up on the uh, Skaha Creek? On Skaha Hill? Hills? It's it's fine. It's As far as I can tell, I mean, on Sunday, Sunday was a crazy night because you look out at night at it and it looks like uh, Mount Doom. Like yeah. A bunch well, of hobbits are going to go throw of. a... Yeah, yeah, a bunch of hobbits are going to throw a ring into it. Like, it, <laughs> it's, it's scary. And... Um, I mean, having the Mount Christie fire close to me last summer, which I talked about on the show, mm-hmm. um, on the other side, it, it didn't seem as, um, volcanic as it did on Sunday. And it, and, uh, it looks closer to us, but I know that there's like a ridge that I don't see, uh, behind one of the hills and everything. So it is like further away, but I, I mean, it was threatening, Still the the penticton indian band land and everything mm-hmm. um but it looks like it's largely been contained um nice. it, it just kind of feels like everything's been kind of uh settled been handled over the last few yeah. weeks yeah yeah uh, that's good um steve is in penticton if you didn't know mm-hmm. that steve stebbing.ca <laughs> is his website and i don't know if you know this steve but when everything happened with the pandemic your airport mm-hmm. had like one flight a week right yeah yeah. Um, and then, uh, but there's now four different airlines that are flying out of there. Did you hear the news about the fourth one just got added? Yeah, yeah, I this did. Great because, it, because it, yeah, it, I mean, uh, for being kind of like a tourist trap and everything, it felt like we were being isolated quite a bit yeah. by the loss of, of flights. And, and of course, we don't, there's no Greyhound buses or any shuttles or anything mm-hmm. like that anymore. So it does feel like an isolation if you, aren't able to tra- uh, you know travel the highways or anything yeah. right so and Kelowna's yeah. on the airport's on the other side of Kelowna so mm-hmm. it kind of <laughs> you can get to Kelowna easily from the Salmon Arm Sycamus Chase sort of spot or you can go to mm-hmm. Kamloops right like you've got options there Penticton's yeah. kind of tucked yeah. away it's got nothing so uh, just to salute the Canadian business that has stepped up to do that uh, Cascadia Air it's a just yes. a commuter like an air taxi commuter airline um, they're not big they little planes and they fly around but they go to Pitt Meadows Abbotsford Campbell River, Tofino, for example, and now into Penticton. They've really grown fast and picked up a lot of the slack on mm-hmm. on that, which is interesting if you think about it, because many Canadians like Tofino, I don't know if the timing would work, but you could fly into Calgary on a big plane, get on a little plane into Penticton, and you could actually connect and get directly to Tofino from Penticton, from Abbotsford, from all of these places, which is which is really kind of cool. So it's good I, to have uh, the option. Yeah, I'd love to support the small business as they've uh, mm-hmm. stepped into our brother's town to uh, make sure people can get around and go on trips and all those things. Stevestepping.ca. Let's get into what the hell should we watch this weekend. 
keeping in mind that the Shift AV Club is coming up shortly when this mm-hmm. is done. All right, Steve. We have a big, long list of uh, things. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and the Molten Penticton Hill. <laughs> I thought I could change my name. Start a new life. But I could never escape his shadow. My son, you can't run from your past. So tell us about, I, I was Ooh. just teasing about the name, um, the, the Lord of the Ten Rings and the Shang-Chi. Yes, this movie, I, I just got out of it and I absolutely loved it. It is such a cool film. I mean, there's a lot riding on its shoulders because it's try, It's like kind of like one of the building blocks to a new Avengers team now. So Shang-Chi, played by uh, Simu Liu from uh, Kim's Convenience, Um is like already like such an endearing character. Like he embodies this character so well. All the action scenes are so interesting and so vibrant and I just jaw dropping, you know, I feel like snake eyes from a few weeks ago is looking at being like, ah, that's how you're supposed to do it. How, why didn't we think of that? Because it just blows so many action films out of the water as far as their fight choreography and everything goes and cinematography is beautiful uh and the casting's really great in this one uh, around him like uh aquafina tony leung uh michelle yo um yeah i i enjoyed this movie on all levels and i hope it becomes a huge hit because it deserves it Ooh, can hear the excitement all right next on the list with what the hell should we watch this long weekend with steve stebbing worth everybody yeah. my daughters were just as much as anybody in a corner office my wife died that day and everything about this formula offends me sorry to hear that but we can't bend the rules for every case why not congress gives you broad discretion but when seven thousand citizens ask you not to be treated like some numbers on a spreadsheet you act like that law came down from sinai all right tell us about worth steve yeah, it looks like Netflix this week is uh, pushing hard into the uh, the 9-11 uh, documentaries and movies, uh, being that this is the uh, 20th anniversary of it. Uh, but this one's got uh, Michael Keaton, Stanley Tucci, and Amy Ryan. And basically, it's about... Uh, the lawyer, uh, the mediator, uh, Kenneth Feinberg, who is appointed by the con- by Congress to lead the September 11th Victim Compensation Fund and to figure out uh, what compensation works for uh, each person, uh, each family uh, of uh, a deceased member, that, a deceased citizen that was killed or, you know, part of the fire department that was killed uh, on that day and to figure out how much there to be compensated and what kind of formula to use and everything and it's uh an interesting well put together drama that kind of gets lost here and there in the melodrama but it's still uh it's still hard hitting and uh michael keaton is incredible stanley tucci is so great uh i don't think it's going to get any kind of awards recognition but it is still a fascinating film to watch okay mogul mowgli it's a tongue twister a little bit what else we watch this weekend with Steve Stabbing? I can go with it. <laughs> we'll ask you where you're from. 
Tell us about Mogul Mowgli. It sounds big and political. Yeah, this is uh, another great film starring Riz Ahmed, who is in Sound of uh, Metal last year, which is, I think it was my number one film of last year. Like, just an absolutely incredible film. But this is another character-driven film. Uh, he plays a British-Pakistani uh, rapper who uh, is kind of driven by his ego, driven by um his fight in society and everything until he is struck down with an illness that threatens to take his livelihood away from him and he has to kind of go at like an introspective look at what he wants his own future to be and another powerful performance from uh, Riz Ahmed I got the chance to see this movie last year at the Vancouver International Film Festival and it's a movie that has stuck with me I think about it every now and then because it is just one of those uh, to the bone type of performances. And uh, I, I think Riz Ahmed is going to be one of the big A-list actors in the next five, 10 years. Oh, well, that's a big statement. I like that. Putting the bed in the envelope. Steve Stebbing.ca, if you want to check out the blog that he posts up with all of his chats and interviews and whatnot. Next on the list, Yakuza Princess. You have the vocation to become a true warrior, but to fulfill it, you and your sword must become one. They brought something here to help you remember what happened. What do you want? The sword. Tell me about it. It's very ancient. People are going to pay a lot of money for this blade. I'm pretty sure they're connected to the Yakuza. So... Should we be concerned about all of these shows? I mean, the one crime syndicate that gets free advertising everywhere these days as being the most badass of the crime syndicates is the Yakuza. They get, they're basically mm -hmm. on all the shows. They mm -hmm. are the Jimmy Hoffa of the movie topics and they're basically getting free advertising like nobody's business. And a really funny thing is, is a large majority of the movies and comics and, and, and pop culture stuff that come from the use of the Yakuza always kind of indicate to like inner Yakuza wars and, and, and battles for power and, and stuff like that and, and uh, loyalty to a, to a point. Yeah. Uh, and I Even mean, that's kind of voted that. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of what's at the the heart of this one. But the Yakuza princess, like the the princess in uh, in question, played by uh, a pop singer Masumi, uh, she is kind of like the like she was. Uh, uh, kind of stolen away from it and doesn't kind of know her lineage. And this is the war can be won if they bring her back into the fold. And uh, it's just kind of one of those uh, kind of brainless action films. Uh, it is uh, based on a comic series called uh, Samurai Shiro. Um, and, you know, after watching Shang-Chi tonight, it made uh, the fight scenes in that movie, which already kind of bothered me here and there, looked so much crappier in comparison. Um, I, I like the story. I, I like the drive of it. It's uh, some points. It just doesn't feel like it's going far enough. 
but it, it was pretty damn entertaining and very bloody. Very. Uh, Yakuza, if I get the emphasis right on it. Members are often described as males wearing sharp suits with heavily tattooed bodies and slicked hair, which Lots is exactly how... Lots of koi tattoos. Yeah. Lots of koi the, fish. Everywhere they go in all the shows, mm. that's where uh, that's that's how they're portrayed. It's the most amazing thing. I'm not sure that it's actually okay well, <laughs> that they get all this I, free marketing. There's actually some good news here, though, because the Yakuza are kind of in shambles and are the weakest they've ever been. Because Japan has passed so many laws that makes it practically impossible for them to get any money. I actually, it's really funny you mentioned this. I watched a documentary about this really huh? earlier today. And yeah, the Yakuza are in shambles. <laughs> There's still parts where they're really strong, but nowhere near how they're portrayed in movies and all that. Like mm -hmm. at all. One of the well, biggest Yakuza crime bosses ever left it and calls them all jokes now. And he's just like, he makes a career out of trolling the Yakuza now. And he's, he's no danger at all. It's 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 pretty funny. However, well, it, it they do make for cool movies. If you mm, watch uh, Hawaii Five O, you will see that Dano takes them head on, um, all the time because they always land their private jet at some little airfield in northern Oahu, and they make it into the country, and that's the bad guy. They're no match for Steve McGarrett. There is a new no. NCIS Hawaii coming, by the way. So I'm very excited. I'm questioning that too because I have I on my list this week I have N uh, NCIS New Orleans the complete series which was just canceled so you just yeah. canceled your newest show but you're going to bring a new show yeah in have you seen place. the trailer for the the Hawaii one no it's who's exactly the lead? who it's exactly like Hawaii Five O it's a whole oh, new so cast of people just... that aren't famous hmm. it, that's what they've done is I they probably did research that those leads couldn't leave Hawaii Five O without wrecking it hmm. and then um, <laughs> that they've got. They've, they basically, that's what they did is they swapped it out for, they're going to have Magnum PI and, um, and then NCIS Hawaii. It's going to be exactly the same, okay. well, but it was amazing. I, mean, I loved it. You need to use that locale. Even in the promo, they even had like the shrimp truck by the Hilton, which is exactly like Hawaii 5.0 <laughs> was. Oh man. All right. On Blu-ray with Steve Stebbing. What the hell should we watch this long weekend? Steve, we're limited on time here. Do you want to pick one? We have in the Heights or Dune 4k, which one do you want to go to? Let's go Dune. Let's go Dune. Okay, Dune 4K. A oh boy. <laughs> Duncan, can I trust you with something? Yes, always. You know that. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. All right. Tell us about Dune. Let's just say that that's the trailer for the new dune that's coming out on october 22nd this is that's the timothy chalamet oh. um jason momoa oscar isaac the one that's coming out that's on 4k this uh this week is the mid 80s david lynch version uh which was horribly panned when it came out um is definitely a guilty pleasure for me and a lot of uh lynch fans out there love this movie still the expanded edition which is included in this one is the is the kind of definitive one to watch um but i i mean this was this was one of those projects that it's like why why are we, how are we gonna even tackle this when many people have tried before and failed and uh but i don't know there's something about this movie i rented it when i was a kid i still love it now and High definition is always good to movies like this. Did uh, is the new one look any good? Oh my god! I just saw the trailer before Shang Chi tonight, and I, I've watched the trailer many times just on YouTube on my TV. But seeing it on the big screen this time was just 
operatic. It just ah, I I mean my my eyes welled up with tears. You know, Ooh, <laughs> like I'm like wow. this is this is gonna be good. I I love the books. Like I love the books. So I feel like this is. This is uh, this is looking really good, and Denny Denny Villeneuve is the perfect person to do this movie. This is the Shift Podcast, an inspiring set of stories about shipwrecks sent Ryan uh, gleefully into research land about Canada and some history around shipwrecks. Ryan loves history. I love history. Brendan loves music. So we got really excited about this piece. <laughs> and um, so Ryan did. He went, he put together this great package of conversation for you that we're about to hear about shipwrecks in Canada. It started with some inspiration um, with a guy at Global Toronto named Max Hartshorn. He put together a piece. Max is a digital journalist with Global Toronto. And he put together this piece around the Bermuda Triangle and shipwrecks in Canada, Lake Ontario. Very cool stuff. A little bit of history, a little bit of mystical, and some great reporting. So, Max, uh, help me understand here. Were you interested in all these shipwrecks before you started this piece, or was it also new to you? Yeah, I mean, I actually heard about this story from a friend of mine a few years ago, and uh, it was one of those things where he found out about it in... um, one of those like Uncle John's bathroom readers, just like a half page on the the Bermuda Triangle of Lake Ontario. And the idea kind of stuck with me. I just thought it was uh, like, you know, what is this? And like, is there any truth behind it? Like, what's the story here? So mm-hmm. it always kind of stuck in my mind. And then, you know, we're doing a series, uh, the Z Files on the website and it's wrapping up. So I just thought it would be a perfect thing for that for that series. Now, uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald is probably the most famous of the inclusions in all of this, um, of these these boats and these shipwrecks and all of these pieces of the puzzle. What surprised you the most when you found out that there's a bunch of, I don't know, um, unsolved mysteries, I guess, when it comes to uh, ships and sinkings? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm familiar with, uh, you know, lots of stories about unsolved shipwrecks, the Bermuda Triangle, and you kind of get the idea, yeah, if it's in Bermuda, if it's in the middle of the Atlantic, I can understand a ship disappearing, I could understand a crew disappearing, but the idea that there would be some sort of a mystery in a body of water as small as Lake Ontario just seems kind of strange to me. Yeah, it does seem strange, right? It, I mean, I, I guess the part of it is there's it's exotic when it's down in the Caribbean, right? Down south, and you think that, you don't think that boats sink in lakes, I don't know about you, but one of the first things when we started talking about it here was, ah, come on, big ships don't sink in lakes, do they? Were you surprised by that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I had no idea. I mean, my main experience with Lake Ontario is, you know, maybe uh, just going to the beach and just enjoying the water. It, it always looks pretty peaceful. It looks very nice. I would never have thought that there would be um, a number of shipwrecks that happened here. Yeah, buried in the bottom of it. You know, we also take yeah. for granted how many, um, you know, ships had serviced that with the original locks that went through the Great Lakes versus mm-hmm. now, of course, the big ones. You can't miss them, right? But it was such a vital transport corridor in the uh, in the very beginning. What did you find that surprised you the most? Was it some of the depths uh, that were found in the lake? What What really got you? Yeah, well, I mean, a number of things surprised me. Like, number one was just how much, how many ships there were. I didn't know this, but um, there actually uh, was a as about as many ships on the Great Lakes as there was in the entire North Atlantic um, for the period of around 1840 to 1940, uh, which that surprised me uh, quite a bit. Um, 
just learning about the shipping traffic and how important shipping was for the region. But then you have to imagine that there were no roads, uh, there were no railways until the at least the latter part of the 19th century. So if you want to get around from what someplace or you want to ship goods from point A to point B, you're really your only option was the lake. Mm. Mm. Y- UFOs and all kinds of other things tossed around there. Tell us about it. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's the whole other aspect of it is that there are all these stories. Um, and I didn't expect to find as many stories. But as I was starting to look into this, um, there's obviously Sid Wells, who's in the piece. He has a very interesting encounter with a flying object over South Bay. Um, but even as I was looking into it more, um, I heard a couple other encounters. Uh, these were secondhand accounts from local fishermen about uh, some UFOs that they had seen over Maine Duck Island. And then again, you have the Porter Airlines flight that in 2017, it was going from Ottawa to Toronto and they noticed some, they had to actually take evasive action to uh, to avoid hitting a large object that was right in their flight path and two of the flight attendants sustained minor injuries from that and uh they never the transportation safety board never figured out what it was Mm. it's possible it was a drone but they don't think that it was a drone at that height so i mean there's all these kind of interesting stories and you know i can't obviously speculate as to the the actual causes but um but it just it surprised me, I guess, and it interested me to, to hear all these different accounts. Well, and I would never think about mirages. You think about mirages, of course, you think deserts naturally, but then, you know, you see reflections. I mean, we love photos on Instagram or whatnot of someone taking a beautiful mountain photo with a reflection of the mountain, but we don't really think of the Great Lakes as being, you know, um, purveyors of the mirage in order to fool people. Yeah. I mean, you kind of think of a mirage as something that happens maybe in the desert, not on a lake or something that happens on a road. And you typically what people think of as mirages, they think of the kind of like surface mirage where it just looks maybe like some water. Um, But there's this whole other type of mirage called a superior mirage, where because of the way that the temperature is layered in the atmosphere and because of the way that light is refracted through different air densities, I won't go into all the details, it can actually cause things to look like they're higher than they actually are. And this can cause um, actually a number of distortions when you're on a lake. It can make uh, ships look like they're higher than they are. It can make land masses look like they're higher than they are. And that sort of stuff, um, it's speculated, can be mistaken for for UFOs. How did you uh, find the the overall mystical part of this? Max, you go into this as an investigative reporter. You're creating, um, you know, you're digging into the stories, plus balancing out the facts a little bit. How did the mystical land with you? Yeah, I mean, for these sorts of things, like, yeah, you always have to look at what facts you can and, and you can't really get too caught up in the mystical aspects because, I mean, you have to be grounded in in what you can show and what, what there is out there. But at the same time, I think um, I always like to operate from the possibility that there may be something beyond um beyond what I can figure out. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't, I don't want to really just, if somebody's coming to me and they, and they really believe that they saw something that um, they don't have a natural explanation for, and none of the other ac- natural explanations that I've heard can, can clearly account for it. I want to at least have the, allow for the possibility, um, that, that there might be something that I, I can't account for. Cause I mean, I can do my best. I can, I can do research. I can look up data, but at the end of the day, uh, there's only so much I can, I can explain. And, uh, you know, there, I, I can't discount the possibility that there might be some things out there. 
Max Hartshorn is with Global News. Max, it's a great piece. It's exciting. You've got us excited. We're curious. Um, and uh, it, it's also some fantastic history work, too. So f- amazing work. And I love the article. We'll post the article up on our Facebook group, plus on the Twitter and all those things and share them. Plus, you can get it at globalnews.ca, of course. Well done, Max. Thank you very much, bud. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. I, I really enjoyed writing it. So I'm glad people are enjoying reading it. It's the Shift Podcast. So now we have learned from that earlier conversation, Bermuda Triangle of Canada in the St. Lakes, uh, St. Lawrence and the Great Lakes. We don't really think of it that way. When I lived in St. Catharines, you know, the Merritt House and all of the canals, you sort of forget about how incredibly integral that was so long ago for goods to get inland on those big ships. The story of locks alone between the lakes is a fantastic one. And we look at the St. Lawrence Seaway as, you know, this sort of shipping route that kind of ends at Montreal. Well, for so long, you know, still to this day, yes, but not like it was before. uh, Those boats were up and down that river all the time. So we wanted to get into shipwrecks. Yes, the Bermuda Triangle of Canada, fine, that's one thing, but there are other amazing places to go. And from Kingston is Guillaume Corsi, who is a diver, a shipwreck diver, and I'm just going to say, Guillaume, an overall big fan of the sort of treasure that you have in the St. Lawrence. Yes. Um, I moved here uh, 10 years ago in Kingston, and uh, through my work, I was... uh, fortunate enough to get a, a dive course many years ago. And when I moved here, I've, I've heard of, you know, diving in Kingston, shipwrecks. And then um, I found uh, a scuba club, the, uh, the CFB Kingston Military Scuba Club, and I started to dive with them. And long behold, I started to dive on some of the charter boats that were here. And uh, I discovered what they were talking about. <laughs> P-O-W-Kingston.org, Preserve Our Wrecks. Now, let's start this conversation, Guillaume, if it's okay. Let's talk about Kingston, Thousand Islands, that area in general. Mm-hmm. First of all, what a beautiful little corner of the world you live in. That is, it I love is it. I mean, I, I didn't live in Kingston. I did, um, I did, I lived in Brockville, but we spent most of our time in Kingston when I was there. And um, it's quite beautiful. I guess I knew the history of Kingston with um well the the uh the king family and then of course there is uh the original capital whole storyline right sir john a mcdonald's gravestone all of those fundamental canadian things are right there in kingston mm-hmm. don't often think about shipwrecks but now in hindsight sort of makes sense there must be an awful lot of things that have happened on that seaway um, well, yeah, definitely there, there's that. And, uh, there's also the war of 1812. When you think about it, uh, Kingston as a capital was moved because it was too close and too vulnerable for it to be close to the Americans like that. Um, so, but the British actually, you know, decided to make their naval base out of Kingston. So right there, we have a start of, you know, a lot of, you know, shipping and, and, and war fighting through, you know, naval war fighting. So they, they build ships there. They, they were leaving from there. Uh, you know, Admiral Yale was coming from there. 
you know, based out of there. So uh, Kingston was pivotal in, in the War of 1812 for the, for the naval part of it. We think of shipwrecks, we think of these beautiful places in the Caribbean and these exotic uh, places. What are shipwrecks like in and around? Uh, but we don't think of French well, fresh water, first of all. Um, but what, what is it like in and around Kingston with shipwrecks in Canada? Uh, well, that's what makes it very special here in Kingston is that the cold, fresh water preserve all those old wrecks. Um, that's why you don't see those wrecks, you know, in the ocean because the salt water and the bacteria will eat the wood. So if, unless they are metal shipwrecks, so more modern, um, you know, older shipwrecks in the oceans will just disintegrate. Uh, whereas here in Kingston, Lake Ontario, the Great Lakes as a whole, um, those old shipwrecks, 150, 200 years old, made of wood, um, they just sit there and they are like a time capsule. They just, they, they're preserved by the cold water. That's what's pretty awesome about it. What's your favorite part? Is it the curiosity? Do you imagine what life was like? Is it the silence? I'm assuming it's silence. Um, what is what is it like? Can you describe for me, if you were to say, Shane, I want you to come dive with me. This is the best part. What's the um, best part? The best part? Um, what I love when I go down on, on the wrecks is usually when you're starting to go down, you you don't see anything. So you're going down. The visibility brings you down. Even with the best visibility, you'll see maybe 50, 60 feet down. So you see nothing. And eventually, though, it, it, it jumps on you. It, it, it just appears out of nowhere. As you're diving down and going down into the abyss, you start seeing the wreck. And it's when it appears to you that is really sometimes breathtaking. Um, you know, depending on how, where you arrive, depending also on the conditions. Some of them um, actually got broken down a lot when they, 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 they sank. Some of them, they just sank and just lay down on the bottom flat, and, and they are intact. Um, really? Um, one of the things that I like to do, but, uh, but I discovered that through my spouse, and is uh, actually I started to do that not long ago, is I dive on them, and then if, if the ship wheel, ship's wheel is still there, I'll go swim behind it and try to take a position as if I was the captain, and mm. if the vis visibility is good, then I'll try to see what was he envisioning when he was on the water. Wow. What's the biggest one that's down there? Um, I mean, do you, do you guys track the names? Or is that even possible yeah. at this point? Yeah, we do. Uh, some of them have been identified. Others uh, have nicknames. Uh, and just because we haven't been able to identify them. Uh, it also depends if those shipwrecks, especially in Kingston, we have some shipwrecks that are not uh, the victims of weather or accidents. They're actually, um, they were thrown away. Um, so some of the, some, some wrecks have been, uh, you know, uh, proposedly scuttled because they were rotting away in the port. Mm. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, Kingston City went, enough with all the old ships that are abandoned in the port so they offered money to basically uh tow them away so there are some dive sites that we have that those ships are shipwrecks are actually not necessarily um they're they're not victims of of you know the bad weather 
Um, but those, I, I want to believe those are, are, I guess, a minority. Uh, as soon as you get out more into the lake, uh, south of Amherst Island, those are usually shipwrecks that, you know, unfortunately um, got their demise due to bad weather. Hmm. How deep does it get? Yeah, because that's still the river. That would be fresh water at Kingston at that point. Is it? Um, is it? The, well, it is all fresh water, obviously. Uh, the St. Lawrence River actually on charts uh, starts basically the gap between Simcoe Island and Amherst Island. That's where you you, you make the transition um, according to the you know the, the naval uh, charts. Is that's where you have the transition from Eastern Ontario Lake to the St. Lawrence. But obviously, all of that is is fresh water. Um, but how deep did it get? Is it does it get? Uh, in Kingston, the, the shipwrecks that I've dove, uh, the deepest that I've went to is 125. Uh, but huh. if you go more to the west in, in the Picton area, you'll have wrecks that can go all the way down a lot deeper. Um, I'm not yet certified to go to go do those. So uh, right now I'm starting to train to get more technical diving uh, skills uh, to be able to go beyond the recreational diving. Hmm. So then I guess for those who don't know the geography, it's when it gets past Quebec City that it really becomes the, the seaway as we know the St. Lawrence to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, obviously it goes all the way up to Montreal, uh, but that's where the tide starts in Quebec City. That's where the salt water, you know, mixed with fresh water and, and then it becomes, uh, you know, the seaway, like you say, and, and it becomes salt water. This is fascinating. <laughs> this is absolutely fascinating. So uh, is tourism good for diving in this? I mean, because I guess you sort of want to protect it, I would imagine. But at the same time, you really want people to come and enjoy these these treasures that are at the bottom of the river. Yeah. Well, I would say that Kingston, and that is obviously way before me, but from, from old friends that have been here for, for a long time, uh, Kingston used to have its golden years of diving more in the 80s and 90s where there was a lot of dive shops, a lot of uh, um, dive boat operators, uh, all the way up to 14 boats were almost always full and bringing people all around. Uh, trying to understand what happened to the industry is a little bit hard. Part of it apparently was due to the, uh, the parity of the dollar. A lot of American tourists were, would come because it was cheap. But when it became uh, the parity with the dollar, um, it, it, it kind of uh, dried down. And, and, and because of that, some dive shops actually closed. And it actually almost never really came back. Um, hmm. But yes, touristically, Kingston draws a lot of people. Uh, could it draw a lot more divers? Definitely. Um, and yes, it is always the kind of, you know... Um, double-edged sort of while well, you bring more divers you bring more more people uh will it will it attack the, the 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 shipwrecks and stuff and that's why me and a lot of friends we're involved in preserve our wrecks kingston is 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 to educate people as to uh um basically when you dive you want to be responsible and you want to have a low impact diving so that's what we teach uh to people here when they come here is protect the wrecks uh, take only pictures, leave only bubbles. Leave only bubbles. That's fantastic. All right. Now, 
we got to get a little bit mystical with this Guillaume and ask about the uh, the Marysburg vortex, the Bermuda Triangle of Canada. This uh, triangle that kind of goes from now I know it as Belleville. I know it's not Belleville because that's way further over, but mm-hmm. kind of from that point towards Kingston and then down towards upstate New York, south of Watertown. Yeah. What is uh, wh- what have you seen there? Are there any uh, fantastical stories? About the uh, the Bermuda Triangle of Canada, Marysburg vortex. Well, I, I've read the, the the latest stories that have come out uh, about uh, the Marysburg vortex. Uh, you know, Prince Andrew County, um, you know, the states, Kingston. Uh, in all honesty, and I, I don't want to be a kind of a Debbie Downer, but for me, it's it's all about. I love um, it. <laughs> it's more about uh, no, I I I, won't, I didn't see anything unexplained except uh you know the lake effect the, the lake effect that has an uh, its impact here um aside of that nothing uh you know uh, i would say nebulous or or anything uh mm-hmm. the, the lake can be treacherous the waters of lake ontario can be treacherous I come from eastern Quebec in Rimouski, where the St. Lawrence River is about 60 kilometers wide. And I've seen big waves. My grandfather was a fisherman. I've been on small wooden skiff of less than 30 feet. And I was, in, I was caught in waters with waves actually longer than the actual the, the length of the, the boat we were on. Um, wow. Here in Kingston, I've seen smaller waves that were actually more scary than those. Uh, because they're so short in length. They come so quick that that is what is dangerous when you're on the water. Um, but anything, uh, I'd say, paranormal, uh, I haven't seen anything. In yeah, all, well, I didn't, all I didn't really think so. I, uh, but I, uh, <laughs> I just thought I'd ask because you never really yep. know. Um, when you go look at all these wrecks and, and you sort of, you know, get around them, you're down and around them. It it seems to me that you at least the ones we see on TV that it looks like life sort of just stopped. Is that what it looks like there? I mean, that was an incredibly busy area for a very, very, very long time. So I would imagine that each one's a bit of a time machine of its own. You would see mm-hmm. some from forty years ago, some from one hundred and fifty years ago. Yeah. I'm sure, but is that is that what it's like? I mean, I guess we've all imagined those robotic videos of the Titanic and you see yeah. a teacup, right? Like yeah. that kind of thing. What does it really look like down there? Um, well, some of the wrecks are actually very well preserved. Other ones, uh, not so much, uh, not necessarily because of, uh, human, inter- human actions. Um, you know, time takes its toll eventually. Uh, and also, uh, uh, something that we forget is, uh, the zebra mussels. Um, you know, an invasive, invasive species that have appeared 20, 30 years ago. Um, you know, that is also a double-edged sword because they filter water and the visibility has become better for us divers. But at the same time, they, they, they stick on everything. And that extra weight on those wrecks is actually damaging. And that mm. is the effect of nature. Um, but... That said, some wrecks, yes, some of them, they look almost pristine as if they just landed slowly on the bottom. And, and, and most of it are still very, 
they have a lot of stuff. I, I think about the George A. March that was actually mentioned in, in, in one of the presentation. Uh, the George A. March has beautiful pulleys and, and dead eyes and a ton of stuff. The rigging, the, the ropes are still there. Um, wow. Even even the chains that were from the bowsprit all the way to 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 the the bow of the boat um, until a couple of years ago uh, they broke and it was basically the weight of the zebra mussels. But if it wasn't from that, um, they were they were still intact. Uh, so that is impressive. There's other shipwrecks that you know they they they, they sank. Um, there were not that much stuff in there like because they were just barge uh, basically uh, bringing uh, whatever they were bringing some were bringing uh, lumber other would bring coal um, and and they're just sitting there there was not that much you know call it like that treasures but just Mm -hmm. the fact that they're so huge and they're just they're laying there like a time capsule just that makes it very impressive well, it is a good reminder for all of us uh, who drive with a paddleboard or a boat or whatever when you see those pullovers for the muscles. That's exactly the reason why uh, they want you to pull over and check the bottom of your boat for those muscles. That's just a good reminder for everybody. Do you think that that boat that you mentioned there, um, do you think that's probably the oldest one you've seen? Is there one that you recall that you think could be the oldest ship? Um now I'm trying to go back as, uh, you know, I have all my notes uh, at home about, uh, you know, which wreck. And, you know, I, I'm slowly rebuilding my own uh, knowledge of all of those. Um, I took over Preserve Our Wrecks uh, Kingston in May, and I want to update and revamp the, the, the website. I'd like to have uh, some kind of presentation for all the wrecks that we have at least identified. And um, so is it the oldest? Uh, not necessarily. There's, uh, there's so many others. There's the Comet. There's the George T. Davy. Um, many of those have, have sank, you know, in the early 1800s. Um, um, so it's, it's very impressive. One funny note is uh, there's a shipwreck, the George T. Davy, that sank during a gale and it was transporting coal. Um, and the crane that is on it, um, I found this summer, uh, thanks to other divers that made some other research, I've yet to confirm that information. But if it's true, is that the crane that is on that wreck was actually pulled out and salvaged from another wreck that is downriver. Oh, there no is way. The, yeah, there's the Henry C. Daria that is in the Brockville region and sank a long time ago. And it, it had a huge crane. That crane apparently, supposedly, was salvaged, pulled up, and then refitted on the, you know, the George T. Davy, which actually sank later. Uh, well, again, there's, your, there's your mystical ghost story right there, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Bad luck. Bad luck. <laughs> I love it. Bottom, um, stays to the bottom. That's right. Um, how do you deal with the slimy things? Because I struggle with the slimy things, like the the slimy te- teeth that, or slimy fish with ugly teeth that could really use braces. Oh, I'm not sure. What what the what slimy? Well, like the fish, like the slimy ones that bump oh. into you, and all the things like that. Like, doesn't that freak you out? Because that freaks me out. Um, well, uh, lucky enough, 
uh, actually, the fish are more scared of us than the, 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 we are scared from them. Um, most of the fish I see, uh, pikes, uh, carps, uh, even sheep's head, um, they're usually scared of us. So I've, I've never encountered any fish uh, coming and uh, bumping into me. Okay. Well, good. Good. You're lucky. I mean, I'm not a diver, but my snorkeling expeditions have taken right. me into all kinds of ugly places with really ugly fish, and uh, they scare the crap out of me. Uh, Guillaume, thank you so much for sharing time. If you want to learn more about this, it's powkingston.org, Preserve Our Wrecks Kingston, uh, preserving these amazing, beautiful wrecks that are very special to this Kingston area, and... Um, we underestimate shipwrecks in Canada in general, I would say. Um, I mean, do you have, I guess, the Lake Ontario is almost 800 feet in some places. I suppose there are places that you just can't get to going as a just a free dive, can you? Yes. Um, I mean, recreational diver, which I am, uh, we're limited to 130 feet. Um, so whatever you want to pass that, that is an, an another another realm of divers, uh, what we call technical divers. Um, and it needs a lot more training, a lot more equipment, uh, not unfeasible, but not at the reach of everybody. Hmm. I have a feeling that we've only scratched the surface of finding the history of all of these wrecks in all of the Great Lakes plus in the St. Lawrence River as well. Yes, yes. There's a uh, there's a lot that we know of, and there's a lot more that we just don't know where they are. POWKingston.org. It is Guillaume. Thank you very much for being here and sharing us, uh, sharing this time with us, Guillaume. This is fascinating. Thank you very much for having me. This is the Shift Podcast. It's bonus time with Steve Stebbing and stevestebbing.ca. The Shift AV Club is here. That means we get together, we watch a movie, we talk about it. Here's Ryan O'Donnell. Ryan O'Donnell uh, forgot to turn his mic on. Uh, yes, the <laughs> AV Club is here. I'm so happy. The class is in session. Everybody has done their homework. We've all watched the movie. If you missed it, the movie that was picked by the Tiny Wheel was Master and Commander, the 2003 epic, somewhat historical, high seas, Napoleonic Wars adventure. Um, before we get uh, too into it, I think we got to bring out the Tiny Wheel just to celebrate the Tiny Wheel. What do you guys think? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do it. do it. Yeah, okay, bring it out. Tiny Wheel actually does have movies. It's so cute, no one seems to mind. It had many movies so last week when it selected uh, between a list of the greatest his, uh, epic movies of all time. It landed on this. Steve and I were excited. This was the movie mm -hmm. we were hoping uh, for two reasons. I had never seen it, and I'd always wanted to. And Steve, you said that this was a movie that didn't really get the love it deserved when it came out. No. So here we are. Who wants to go first in the review of this film? I will. Shane, go I will first. Go first. The movie was the master of the champions of the commandos of something, something. <laughs> and it was a movie about a man who is on a boat and they do bouldering things bouldering. And, and then they they get in some quarrels 
and then they stay on the boat. <laughs> and I don't know if you've uh, ever sailed across the Atlantic and back to the Galapagos Islands and down apparently around the horn of something. And Africa. then they, uh, where it snows a lot, then they uh, did all of this in with the sails and in the fact that they had a couple of weeks with no wind. So if you can imagine how long that trip would take is how long that movie felt. <laughs> I fell asleep uh, through part of really, yeah. uh, through part of it, and um, that is my at least synopsis of it. Brendan Kelly, should we just get the trailer here just so everyone else can maybe interpret it for themselves? An act of war will cripple them. With basic repairs, we can get home as we are. We're not going home. The power of nature will threaten them. Our enemy has more than twice our guns, more than twice our numbers, and we are supposed to stop them. Torn between fulfilling his duty. Captain's not called Lucky Jack for no reason. Phantom or no, Lucky Jack a lover. And the lives of the men he commands. Steady! He must face the invincible. He fights like you, Jack. A hunter becomes the hunted. Well then, there's not a moment to lose. So... Here's the thing. I never actually heard anybody call him Lucky Jack until that very moment where they were like, they call him Lucky Jack for a reason. I was like, pretty sure nobody's called him Lucky Jack all the way through. <laughs> okay. So it's a good movie. My determination is I watched it. I fell asleep for about 15 minutes of it. But when I woke up, they were still in the same place. And then, so I don't feel like I missed much. And then they got to the very end. Turns out I've seen this. I've seen the ending. Oh. But I don't know how or when, and I don't remember anything from the movie except for the very ending of it. And <laughs> it's a cliffhanger ending where they didn't mm -hmm. make a sequel, and they spent two hours and 15 minutes getting to a place where it's incomplete. This is mm -hmm. my favorite clip from the uh, Master of Commando something. There is, I think, an opportunity here to serve both our purposes as i understand it this is a long thin island you need to sail around it in order to continue your voyage i could walk across it i'd be on the other Stephen, side i have known you to spend hours staring into a deserted bird's nest i could walk briskly pausing only to take the most important measurements certainly making valuable discoveries that could help advance our knowledge of natural history if wind and tide had been against us i should have said yes they're not i'm obliged to say no Oh, I see. I see. So after all this time in your service, I must simply content myself to form part of this belligerent expedition. Hurry past inestimable wonders bent solely on destruction. I shall say nothing of the corruption of power or you its forget yourself, Doctor. No, Jack. No. You've forgotten yourself. You see, for my part, I look upon a promise as binding. A promise was condition. never occurred to me. I command a kingship. You were not a private yacht. Same opinion. We do not have time for your damned hobbies, sir. There was, he said the hurry uh, in there. There was no hurry. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Yeah. That's, that's okay. my vote. Okay. All right. Uh, can I go next? Sure. I think this ranks in my top 20 favorite films I've ever seen. I think this is an incredibly special movie because nobody makes movies like this anymore. It ranks uh, in and my I know, top Shane, you're probably thinking, I watched today. Yeah, there it's you top go. five of what I watched today for sure. This movie, 
appreciate is a period piece is what it is. This movie is incredibly accurate for the time, including how long and drawn out and boring it is to be a sailor. This movie tackles that in a really interesting way. And I, th- I think this movie isn't so much about the chase of trying to hunt down a British sh- uh, a French ship that could reignite war. It's more about the crew surviving the captain's quest to live up to his expectations. And uh, there is no music in this movie until 20 minutes in. This movie's use of sound and the creaking of the wood, the wind, and the moments when you're at sea are, are sh- so good. And the the individual moments of like loss and, and uh, hard decisions, I feel, have a lot of impact. Even the the tiny crew members, like the crew members that are, are so forgettable, aren't forgettable because they're all mm-hmm. given enough character. Uh, Peter Weir, who directed this, is really good at directing people. And I, I think that's why this movie worked really well. Uh, the acting is is fantastic. The soundtrack, when it is, when there is music, is great. And the action sequence slash battle at the end is so worth the wait, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love it. And I know the ending is technically a cliffhanger. I think the ending works really well because it really plays into kind of the 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 whole theme of that the life of a sailor really well and i do think though if there was a sequel it would have been the perfect ending for a sequel mm-hmm. and the one thing i do want to add on is that in the early 2000s south park had an episode about russell crowe and the fact that he really likes to fight people and i i and actually tugger. rewatched that episode and, and tugger the boat that would take him around the world yeah. fighting people and i actually have that song here because i think it's very relevant for this movie let's let's get my clip there brendan Making movies, making songs, and fighting round the world. And that's pretty much what this movie is about. I love I it. Couldn't, I absolutely love this movie. I couldn't tell when they, at the very end, when they got into that big fight at the end, how uh, who was who. I had a hard time telling who was who. I think, Ryan, you're bang on when you said that the ending of the never-ending ending was really kind of <laughs> cool. But you said there's no music, and we know that if you want to have a blockbuster the best way for them to board that ship at the end when that big fight that you described was happening would have been mm-hmm. to have an amazing song like this playing that would have had a big impact on it um, when they boarded, right? Like, It's like they're going into the warehouse to get the cocaine. General or, Quarters? Right? Man, your station's been... Yes. Well, it's Hi-ya! funny that you bring up synth music, actually, because I wanted to focus on the music. Because that's the first thing I noticed is the opening scene, just no music. And then through all of the action scenes, which I, I get that that sort of lends itself to that middle of the ocean silent feel. But I really decided to look into the soundtrack because that's the angle I always go for. It was composed by three guys, uh, Richard Tognetti, Christopher Gordon, and a guy named Iva Davies. Iva Davies was a lead singer for a very, very popular in Australia synth-pop band called Ice House. Oh, no way. Really? Yes. He did music like this. So it is surprising that there was no wild synth outbreak at any point during the, mu- during the movie. <laughs> this period wow. piece yeah. of the Napoleonic Wars. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Cool. Well, they got the best deal ever if they got paid, all three of them, to make that soundtrack. Cause they yeah, because like, they, they didn't do classical much. music. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, that that's me, and I think that's also why I may have dosed a little bit too. It was the mm-hmm. lack of you know well, epic the, action music. It was it was a little the, bit uh, too much on the on the ocean. Text message that came in about this says exactly that. Of Master and Commander, how many times did you guys fall asleep? That was the only text came in before we started talking about it. Steve Stebbing, what are your thoughts? I didn't fall asleep during this movie. Um, I liked it more. You know, uh, I I think honestly, I think just like by just like adding, you know, almost 20 years to it just uh, gave it a little more oomph to me. Uh, I love Peter Weir's direction. Um, It's crazy to know that this was a box office failure uh, that did like absolutely nothing in the popular audience, but was like a critical darling won two Academy Awards. Like it's it's so it's like an anomaly of a film, and I really would love to know what the original plan for the franchise was. Was Peter Weir involved? Like was everybody involved? I mean, um, I would love to see more. And everyone keeps talking about Russell Crowe, but I mean, Paul Bettany is incredible. Even that clip you played, he's so so good in that scene. Like he's just good in the whole show. He's the audience, he's condu- audience conduit. Well, I also think that he's kind of he's the he's kind of the fresh face. He's the one that the audience is supposed to get behind in this movie. Yep. So that and the kid does his job the kid, well. The kid who mm-hmm. too with the arm. yeah the one arm the one arm kid was Lack amazing of. and the one who died um, that was cool. I did like the, uh, the 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 ship helper guy when they board and he goes looks like the job is done and then he gets shot yeah. in the face bam <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, i didn't so like good. that he got shot in the face yeah but uh but, uh you know you know what i'm saying <laughs> i kept thinking he was going to betray them he gave me that vibes mm-hmm. but no he was loyal like to the end that's one thing none of that N- no mutineer it was just british men on the ship on the seven seas and the horn they were talking about there. That's the horn of South America because they sailed they, and they met them in South America and Brazil and they sail mm. all the way around Brazil to the Galapagos, which are on the other way on the other side. So the snow and that part where they're all freezing is when they're mm. around like by the Falkland islands. So the movie doesn't really paint the fact that this takes place over like months, right? Mm. It kind of just feels like they were chasing for a week, but this takes over a long time. Uh, because it takes forever to go anywhere when all you have is a bunch of cloth and wind. Yeah. See, I, I, that part I don't agree with. I feel like that they did portray that very, very well, actually. Yeah. They did quite well. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. I think I had lunch and dinner in that movie. Okay. Um, there it is. The way this works here on the Shift AV Club, that is the uh, Master and Commander. Is that what it is? Master and mm-hmm. Yes. Master and Commander. Master, That's the one. Master of Commando. Um, Every single second week, we pick a movie and then we talk about it. So how this works is next Thursday, Ryan will put a bunch of new movies on the tiny wheel. We will spin the tiny wheel. The wheel will choose our next movie. We have a week to watch it, and we will be back to talk about it again. Steve Stebbing, thanks, brother. Have a great long weekend, my friend. Thank you, my friends. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.